1 through 10 this morning, and the text is also printed in the bulletin. So we've been um, in a series this, uh, this last seven weeks. This is the last of our seven-week series on um, our, our basics here at Ascension, things that we believe are most important for the church in general, but uh, also for our church in particular, uh, especially for our church. And so we've talked about our basic creed, the fact that we have something to say about God because he's revealed it to us in the scriptures, in the gospel. We know who Jesus is and we know who God is. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know this because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have our basic creed uh, that we've talked about. We've talked about our basic calling um, that according to this God's nature, this triune God, this God who's one God in three persons, um, and according to his nature, we, togetherness and communion is the thing that we're called to. We're called to relationship with him and with each other. That's why we uh, get together regularly. And, uh, uh, and so thirdly, we talked about our basic conviction. We talked about love. Um, the fact that we are rather poor lovers when it comes to actually reflecting uh, the God who is love, but that God is renewing uh, us in, in love. He's loved us, and so we love him, and we love each other. And so that's uh, our basic conviction. We talked about our basic character. We talked about repentance and faith, that this needs to really characterize everything that we do, uh, turning away from the old, turning toward the new, turning from our own kingdoms toward uh, Christ's kingdom in faith. We talked about our basic commission, uh, that discipleship and evangelism, really these kinds of are, are the same thing. Um, uh, and so we also talked about our basic cares, justice, and mercy, that we're a people who respond to this particular salvation that God has saved us. He's, he's been merciful to us, so we're merciful to other people. And now, finally, we're going to wrap this series up with, uh, with our basic commitment. <clears throat> and that is, um, we're going to talk about membership, kind of. So um, this is not like a membership class where... All of you are supposed to sign up afterwards if you're not already a member, but, um, but what membership in the scriptures means, what it, what it means to be part of the, the body of Christ, uh, the fact that we're living for each other. We're, we're living for each other. We've given ourselves to each other, right? And we're helping each other grow. And this really kind of wraps up all the previous sermons. This is, you know, what we're doing here. We've got uh, a church of people who are committed to each other, committed for the sake of the gospel, uh, growing in each other's lives and also uh, growing in the world. And so uh, C.S. Lewis said in uh, The Weight of Glory, he's got a chapter in there um, on membership, actually. And uh, he said that the Christian is not called, this is a quote at the beginning of your bulletin, uh, the Christian is not called to individualism, but to membership in the mystical body. We're not called just to have a relationship, just me and Jesus. Uh, we're called to relationship with others in community, in the, the community of Christ's body. This is not intuitive for us, just like most other aspects of Christianity. This is a revealed religion. This is something that we need to be shown is a better way than just the individualism that is natural for us. Um, <clears throat> because it's easy for us to celebrate what we think is uh, spirituality, but really it's just individualism. Right? So, for example, um, uh, around the year 420 AD, you've got the first of what are known as the Desert Fathers. It's the beginning of a monastic movement where these people are characterized by separation from society. Um, and you've got Simeon the Stylite, who's kind of the first one of these desert fathers. He went to the edge of the Syrian desert. He found a pillar there. I think it was in the ruins of some building. Found a pillar, 
built a one square meter platform on the top of it with rails and uh, climbed up there and lived up there for 37 years. Lived the rest of his life up there. And then a whole bunch of people did the same thing. And for him, he said he did it to get away from the people who kept coming to him for prayers and for advice. Um, because, you know, they were inhibiting his spiritual growth and his communion with God. Uh, and there are a lot of people who think that that's super spiritual. And I'm sure at some point in our lives, we're all, we just want to get away from it all. And we've toyed with the idea of becoming a monk, if only they had Protestant monks, right? Um, <clears throat> but this could be har hardly, it could hardly be further from biblical truth that this is super spiritual, this kind of individualism. True spirituality means a commitment to the body of Christ. It means, it means participation in the church. Uh, we don't advocate, in general, the making of many vows. We think vows are pretty serious stuff. Generally, we'll approve if you, you could make certain vows, like marriage vows, right? We, we say everybody could do that. Um, not everybody should do that, because not everybody's called to be married, but that's one set of vows that we generally approve of. Uh, we think everybody should make vows of church membership. Everybody. Uh, that's one vow we think that everybody should make, because it's good for you. That's real spirituality, real life with God means being a member, being integrated into the community of his people. So um, it, in the front cover of the bulletin, you've got the membership, uh, membership vows that have been printed there. And these are familiar to us because we've, we've had these um, as part of our membership process before many times during worship. I'm going to read these before I read the text because there's a lot of these that are reflected in the text. So, um, so I'll read these. Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserve, deserving his displeasure and without hope save in his sovereign mercy? And do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ? And do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? Do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and its peace? So at least three out of those five things are just pretty basic gospel stuff. Like, do you believe the gospel, right? Um, has it made an impact in your life and your relationship with God? Uh, but <clears throat> if this might be difficult, um, if you don't know what that stuff means, those first three questions about the basic gospel stuff. We talk about it all the time, but even if you're a member of the church, please don't be afraid to come talk to me to explore more the idea of what that stuff means, because it's more important that you would have that down pretty well, understand what kind of vow you've taken as a member of the church, or what vow you should take as a, you know, as a member of the church. It's more important to nail that stuff down, even if it exposes the fact that here I've been a Christian for 20 years and I am not quite sure what the gospel is much more important to, to figure that out than it is, you know, to worry about being embarrassed by coming and talking to the pastor about it. So come and talk to me if you've got questions about the membership vows. Um, but, but all of these, I think, in some way are reflected in our text this morning. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning is membership, participation in the community that we've been called to. So let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> uh, 
Father, as we consider your word, we pray that we would be shaped by it, which means we need your Spirit's help. As always, uh, every time we come to your word, we need your Spirit's help. We'd be lost apart from your word and your Spirit, and yet we know um, we who are lost have been found because you've loved us, you've sent your Son Jesus for us, you've spoken clearly to us, and you have given your Spirit to us so that we can understand what it is that you're saying. Um, and so we pray that your word would shape our lives, that we would become more like Christ, that we would live as those who um, live, it, live as it becomes followers of Christ, as we've heard in the membership vow. We pray that your word would make that change in our lives this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word... Yeah, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this section in Galatians here, right at the end, Paul's finishing up his letter. He's emerging from a section where he has has treated the idea of the fruit of the Spirit, and he's really drawn a, a strong demarcation between the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit, and what the flesh is and what the Spirit is, and those two paths as two ways of living, and he's um, telling us that we need to keep in step with the Spirit who dwells in us, Um, and he's emphasized the fact that true spiritual growth, I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit, true spiritual growth means things like becoming more loving and more kind, and these are relational qualities. These are relational, these are not abstract virtues that can best be practiced in solitude. These are things that true spiritual growth means uh, growing in relational qualities, learning how better to live with each other and for each other. And then in our passage, he goes on to say that true spirituality will mean really caring for the the spirituality of other people in the church. It means caring for the spiritual growth of each other in the church. So he says right at the beginning, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, um, which is a reference to the Spirit himself, you who have the Spirit and who are keeping in step with the Spirit, who are living in line with the third person of the Trinity, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So <clears throat> he's not saying that's really only some you know, super spiritual person who has a perfect life, who's got everything together makes no more mistakes and really doesn't sin very much anymore. Only that person can address the shortcomings of others because, you know what, you're not going to find that person here. Um, what, we, what you've got in the church is sinners helping other sinners. Right? 
And some sinners are tuned into the Spirit, tuned into to God and the way that he works and uh, his love and his forgiveness and his grace in ways that they can help other people grow in those things, right? But we're just sinners helping other sinners. This is also definitely not a license for, you know, really mature Christians to look down on those sinners and, uh, and separate themselves from them and condemn them in disgust, right? That's not at all what Paul is advocating, quite the opposite. Every Christian who has the Holy Spirit should bear the fruit of the Spirit in such a way as to truly care about others in the church, care about their relationship with God, their growth in holiness, their further integration and participation in the holy community of the church, right, to want to help them when they fall into sin. That should be what we want to do if we've got the Holy Spirit. We want to help people who have been caught in transgressions, right, to to restore them. That's what the text says. That word restore, it's kind of a medical term used for healing when you mend or you fix things like broken bones, right? Restore them means you're, you're fixing what's broken. So not standing back and saying, wow, look at that broken bone sticking out of the skin there. That must really hurt, right? Or uh, oh, that's just so obvious. It's such a glaring problem. I wonder if they even notice that problem, right? Or I'm going to steer clear of that person so that bone doesn't poke me because that bone might be contagious and I might break my bones if, if I go over there and, and, and I'm with that person, right? Or, uh, hey, you know, I told you it would break. You should have just listened to me. You wouldn't have broken your bone. That's not the way that we're called to interact. We don't treat each other harsh, harshly or in frustration. Um, we look to restore, to heal in a spirit of gentleness, says uh, the one who is caught in any transgression. So we really can look on one another with compassion, uh, like Jesus, who looked on us with compassion as he was looking down on us from his cross where we had put him, and he prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He had compassion on people like us, so we can have compassion on other people like us. Right? Uh, we can have compassion on other sinners. Paul writes that uh, of, in another place, of Christians being caught in the snare of the devil, right? So he's talking about something, they're being caught in their transgressions. They're being caught in the snare of the devil. Uh, so people are both perpetrators of sins and victims of their own sin. Right? They're, they're both perpetrators and victims when it comes to the things that they do that are sinful things, and we need to help each other when we're in that spot, right? When, when we see each other caught in any transgressions. Any transgression, that's what it says. Um, maybe that seems like casting the net a bit broadly, like, hey, you know, I got these problems. I know they're, they're little problems. Why don't you go help the person that's got the big problem, the big, obvious, glaring problem over there? Um, that probably needs to be addressed. It's got priority, right? Um, any transgression, any sin... Any breaking of God's commandment, any living outside of his will, um, living for our own sake and, uh, rather than his, however small, is an absolute problem. Right? Tiny little sin, it's, it's, a, it's an absolute problem. It's an absolute offense. It's like binary, right? It's either zero or one. Um, we might feel like there's some gradation there, but no, it's either a transgression or it's not. 
And, and any transgression is a violation of holiness, and it's a break from our, our fellowship with God. It's a break from our communion with God, even the smallest thing like eating a piece of fruit. And, and when small things like that are overlooked, uh, those kinds of things begin to fester, and they become larger things, more, more traumatic things, more damaging and destructive things. Right? And, um, and so any transgressions, this means we pay attention to such things uh, in, in each other's lives, right? We pay attention to these things. We're looking out for each other, and it means as you become a member of the church, you're not just offering helpful scrutiny to other people in the church. You're signing up for that, um, but you're not just offering it. Implicitly, you're opening yourself up to the same kind of help. You're asking for the same kind of help uh, because you need it. Uh, true Christian spirituality means investing, it's mutual investment in each other's spiritual growth in our relationship with God and Christ through the gospel. And each one of us is in constant need of that help all the time. Even those who are spiritual among us, right, need to watch out lest we be similarly tempted, lest we fall into the same kind of thing, right? Um, all of us are in constant need of the gospel's help, and we really do need to give each other sort of permission to meddle, so to speak. Um, uh, you can meddle in my life when you see that I'm being caught in any transgression, um, which is why we have the membership vow about submitting to the government and discipline of the church. Discipline is nobody's favorite word, right? Um, but it really is for our good. It's, it's for our mutually helping one another to grow. It's, we're in redemptive relationships with each other where for me to grow spiritually means helping you grow spiritually and vice versa. Right. Um, there are times when you are blind to your own sins or uh, you're stuck in them and you can't see the way out. You can't, it, it's impossible for you to imagine confessing that sin and turning away from it and putting your faith in Christ and, um, and repenting, right? And it's, it's the job of the spiritually mature to help you with that. And it really is for your good, and it really is a matter of when rather than if. Uh, it's, it's a matter of when rather than if you'll need that kind of help. So we're in redemptive relationships. We're, we're looking to a corporate concept of sanctification where we're mutually helping each other grow and restoring each other when we sin. And this is something, this, this process is something that we can all be thankful for. It's, it really is for our good. Even though it's uncomfortable, painful a lot of times, uh, we really can be and should be thankful to this as a gift of God's grace to us that he'd put us in a community where we can get help like this and where we can help one another in his name. Um, so we want to be sensitive to each other's needs. We want to be gentle when it comes to restoring uh, broken people. And sometimes we need to be courageous sometimes a little bit intrusive um, when we meet resistance, but it's always with a view to gospel restoration, right? If God's government and discipline of the church wins the day, it means restoration. It means healing. And so, uh, verse 2, we need to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So uh, Jennifer read in our gospel reading this morning from John 13, where Jesus gave us the commandment to love one another just as I have loved you. Jesus said, as I've loved you, 
the same way you are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another, my kind of love, the kind of love Jesus gave and demonstrated to us in his life and death. So Paul is saying, when he says bear one another's burdens, he's saying that by bearing one another's burdens, we can love one another just as Christ has loved us. Bearing one another's burdens is Christian love. It's Christ-like love. He who is rich became poor for our sakes. He who knew no sin, he bore the entire burden of our guilt for our sakes. That was a heavy burden that he bore for us. He joined himself to a miserable people. He took on our misery to free us, to give us peace, to grant us his own joy. And so we have the privilege of imitating him as we bear one another's burdens in the church. I think there's a lot of ways, uh, maybe there's a lot of small ways that we do this really well in our church, which I think is good, that uh, we're, we're looking out for each other. We help each other with meals, with babysitting, uh, with uh, financial struggles sometimes. And, you know, there's a, a pretty high level of participation, pretty high percentage of people in the church who are really committed to helping each other, to bearing one another's burdens even when it's kind of difficult to help. So just the other day, uh, I guess maybe a couple weeks ago, uh, some of you shared the burden of cleaning Robert and Vanessa's place. And every week, Robert and Vanessa bear burdens for us, Robert helping with the sound and Vanessa lifting us all up in prayer. And the fact that we have Robert and Vanessa with us is one of the greatest blessings that our church has. They really do bring us all together in ways uh, we learn about what love is real tangible ways that we can bear one another's burdens, we learn about what it means to be human in relationship with each other because of the fact that we have each other. and We need them, and they need us. This is Christian love. This is what the community is for. It's not easy. It is a burden. That's what the text says. We're bearing burdens. You know? and, and when you take a little bit of someone else's burden on yourself, you're probably going to feel it. If you don't quite feel it, maybe you haven't quite taken enough of it. Um, But that's what it means to be in this thing together. God isn't calling us to an individual relationship with himself. He's calling us to this community, to membership and participation in the church. Um, Skipping down to verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So this is about supporting your minister. So I'm just going to quote from John Calvin here. Uh, It's a bit of a long quote. It is probable that the teachers and ministers of the word were at that time neglected. Talking about the time when Paul wrote to the Galatians. Probable that they were neglected. This showed the basest ingratitude. How disgraceful is it to defraud of their temporal support those by whom our souls are fed? To refuse an earthly recompense to those from whom we receive heavenly benefits. But it is and always has been the disposition of the world freely to bestow on the ministers of Satan 
every luxury and hardly to supply godly pastors with necessary food. Uh, this is not a criticism, by the way. I'm not just, it all works. Uh, <clears throat> it is one of the tricks of Satan to defraud godly ministers of support that the church may be deprived of such ministers. An earnest desire to preserve a gospel ministry led to Paul's recommendation that proper attention should be paid to good and faithful pastors. To supply their real necessities, let believers cheerfully devote any part of their property that may be required for the services of devout and holy teachers. What return will they make for the invaluable treasure of eternal life which is communicated to them by the preaching of those men? So, it, again, it's pretty strong words. It's pretty sweeping claims about what you should do with your money, right? The, the spiritual person sees all of it. Everything that we have, all of our finances, all of our property, it's a gift from God. It's to be placed at God's disposal in response to his grace for the sake of his kingdom. For the sake of, of his kingdom, for the sake of the gospel going forward. So make no mistake, Paul is saying, uh, a lot of us will find excuses not to give. God's not fooled by our excuses not to give. But to find excuses not to give, that's the work of the flesh. I've got to keep that money for myself, right? Um, but when you give, you're investing not in yourself, not just in your own flesh. You're investing in your own spiritual growth. You're investing in the spiritual growth of others in the church, which is also your concern when you support your minister and the ministries of the church by extension, right? Um, so it really is one of the ways that we bear one another's burdens as we labor for each other. I labor for you, you labor for me, in a sense. Um, and I can attest that this is why it's not a criticism. You've sowed to the Spirit in, in your work. Uh, you've taken good care of me and my family. But we just need to keep it in our minds that our regular generosity is one of the ways that we fulfill our membership vows to, to support the church in its worship and, and its work to the best of our ability. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So members of this church, members of Christ's own mystical body, of which we have an expression here in this particular gathering of it, uh, we make the basic commitment to keep doing good to others, especially to each other in the church. That's our basic commitment, to keep living for each other and helping each other and, uh, and especially watching out for each other's spiritual growth. And as we do this, we not only benefit from the true spirituality that we're cultivating in ourselves uh, in a response to God's grace, but Jesus said that the world the world would recognize the power of the gospel at work when it takes broken sinners and turns them into people who care for each other and take care of each other. The world would know the gospel is powerful as we love one another, even as he's loved us. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, it is a great and high calling to become more and more like your Son who loved us and gave himself for us. His love for us uh, took everything, and it's the most glorious love that the world has ever known, and it's the most powerful love. It really has transformed the entire world, and it's transformed each one of our lives, and so we pray that that love would have its way in us, that 
we would become people of love, like, uh, like Jesus Christ himself, that we would bear one another's burdens, that we would happily um, meddle in one another's lives for the sake of holiness, so that uh, we could be sure that our, our neighbors in the church are growing in their faith and in their repentance, and so we can benefit from that same help ourselves, that we would open ourselves up to that kind of help from each other. We pray that our generosity would, um, would increase for the sake of your gospel, so that your gospel would not be hindered in this place, but that it would run free and um, in its power would transform the lives of not just those of us who are sitting here, but uh, ever-increasing numbers of people in our community, our neighbors and our friends and our families. We pray that you would equip us to do the work of the ministry in every way. We, we pray that you would help us to be the kind of people that would grow the church through our love for one another as the world sees and, um, and wonders and gives glory to God for his grace. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.